Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mission Log. A Roddenberry Star Trek Podcast. Episode 161. Allegiance. Welcome to another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion, or am I? And I'm Ken Ray, or am I? Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, looking it over for deeper meaning, messages, things we might apply to our daily lives. And just as I did in Podcast Academy, we end every week with a song. Uh, I've picked out this week's songs, by the way, John. You got some choices. Oh, good. Yeah. I can't yeah. wait. Yeah. Uh, for He is an English Gentleman from HMS Penafore. Oh, love Penafore. Okay. Uh, the Jim Croce classic, I've Got a Name. Also, my karaoke song, by the way. Oh, sweet. Little known okay. fact, except to the people uh-huh. who have you know, been there when I did karaoke with it. Yeah. And uh, Baby Got Back. I thought that was your karaoke song, actually. <laughs> actually, <laughs> I actually, you know, I do have a funny story about me, Rod Roddenberry, karaoke, and that song. Isn't it interesting that everybody has a Rod Roddenberry karaoke song? D- does everybody really? Everybody. Okay. Because mine Half is the U.S. population anyway. Mine is specific to that one. Yeah. Okay. Good. Anyway, so think about that during the show. I mean, not too hard because we should also maybe think about the show. Oh, oh, yes, yes. <laughs> and speaking of the show, yes, this week's show, Allegiance, mm-hmm. and we pledge to see it to the end. <laughs> we, <No>. we, we <laughs> pledge see, Allegiance. The, uh, uh, please yeah. get in touch with us. <laughs> We do this a little too, um, I don't want to say well, often, I don't know, singularly, but we would love to hear from you. Actually, we, we have fun, and we would love to hear from you. Uh, Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love that. You can call us, 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. The email address, missionlog at roddenberry.com. We have a show website that we would love for you to check out. New picture there every week, by the way. Uh, and discover documents and all kinds of things. Missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log, uh, especially if they're trivial, because, good Lord, we do so much <laughs> trivia. In fact, coming down the pike right now, uh, ladies and gentlemen, John Champion's Trivia. Here it comes. So today's episode of Legions was directed by Wienrich Kolbe, and uh, we've talked about him before many times, and he says that this was actually his favorite episode to direct. Um, a lot of heavy acting work focused on Patrick Stewart as Jean-Luc Picard and as somebody else, as we will see. Um, and this was an episode that they had kind of tightened up the budget because we just had some very big budget shows. So in this, we scale everything down, minimal locations, minimal uh, ac- actors and extras. And uh, he, he said that he enjoyed that challenge quite a bit. It was written by Richard Manning and Hans Bimler, a couple of names that we've heard earlier in the run of Next Generation. And uh, let's see who we have here. Now, we've got a Bolian 
and uh, we met Ebolian once before. He had Captain Ricks in Conspiracy, played by Michael Berryman, um, who, of course, well, we know from Weird Science and a ton of other uh, movies and TV appearances. Now, that Bolian, played by Michael Berryman, looked a little different, less of the blue-gray skin color that's really on display here, but they are the same race. And um, this episode was nominated for an Emmy for Achievement in Makeup. So well done there for Bullions and others. It's interesting to me that you say that things are scaled back here because, I mm-hmm. mean, yeah, there's a ton of makeup happening in this. I mean, that one room, which, of course, we'll get to with Picard, you've got, yeah. well, you got Picard, very mm-hmm. little makeup for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, Prune face over there. And yep. then, you know, the thing with the, the, thing with the teeth. Yep. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. And then, right. of course, uh, the half and half check. Yeah. There's, well, uh, there's this, a lot. In one of the interviews that I saw, Vinay uh, Kobe was talking about how in that room, it was actually set up very well for shooting. So they didn't have to do a lot of complicated setups in between takes. They mm-hmm. could just sort of roll. And that, that was a huge thing because they're actually running behind when they started this. So they caught up some of that time um, after the first couple of days of shooting. Everything went along quite smoothly uh, just because they had limited sets, limited lighting, and they could just sort of get the actors in there in their awesome makeup and and let him roll. Now, uh, the song that Picard sings is Heart of Oak, and uh, today it is the official song of the British Royal Navy, and it debuted in the year 1760. Uh, the oak in the title is what British warships at the time were made of. And just to put a, a Star Trek spin on things here, would you believe that the song was written by Dr. Boyce, Dr. William Boyce, and lyrics by an actor named Garrick, David Garrick. Hmm. So uh, there's your Star Trek tie-in to that song. Now, the actor uh, guest stars who we have on today's show, we have uh, Reiner Schoen, who plays Essek. He's, um, he's, he's a big guy. He, he plays the big guy roles because he is a big guy and uh, mostly German roles. So if you're uh, a fan of uh, German cinema with big guys, you will probably find uh, Reiner Schoen in there. Kind of cool that he was the voice of uh, Darth Vader in the German dub of Revenge of the Sith. So if you happen to have that in your collection, there's some of his voice work. Uh, Jocelyn O'Brien played Mitina Haro, and uh, she doesn't have a lot of credits as an actor, actually ending in 1997. Next Gen was one of her first credits as an actor, and she also appeared in a guest role on Quantum Leap. Um, we also have Stephen Markle, who plays Kovatal. He's Canadian-born, mostly known for his theater work, having gotten a lot of Shakespeare under his belt. And in addition to his TV guest-starring roles, he has had recurring roles in soap operas. And finally, the captor aliens that we meet are played by identical twins Jeff and Jerry Rector. Though he spends a lot of time on trivial matters, John can be an excellent leader. Take notice as he leads us through the recap. Prologue. How about some time to chill? That's what Captain Picard is thinking in between missions. They've just eradicated a plague on Corcoroli 5 and are on the way to rendezvous with the USS Hood. He's curled up with a book and a nightcap, dozing off when a thing, sort of a floating monolith appears and dematerializes the captain. The bridge is aware of an energy surge and security is dispatched. Picard finds himself waking up in a bare, unfamiliar room with no way to reach his ship. What Worf finds in Picard's quarters is... Picard? That's weird. Act 1. 
Picard, the one true Picard, the real Picard we know got dematerialized, explores the room he is now in. Not much there, but there are a couple of other people. There's a berobed miserian named Kovatal and a skittish young Starfleet cadet who is a Bolian named Metina Haro. Neither Picard nor the other two know where they are, only that they are there against their will. Kova has been there the longest, 12 days or more. They know nothing of their captors, but there is a fourth bed, which means they may end up with one more guest. Also, there are jello hockey pucks for them to eat. Picard surveys the room, trying to see if there's a way out. Kova discourages him from trying the door since the lock combination is too complicated, and trying it leads to punishment. On the Enterprise, things are totally cool. They're on their way to meet the USS Hood, and Picard, this Picard, not Picard, is acting what one might describe as a bit peculiar. He changes course to visit an unimportant pulsar and then prohibits communication from the ship without his permission. In his ready room, he tells Riker, Hey, you trust me, right? Don't worry if things seem odd. Riker just kind of gives it the okay. In the mystery room, Picard is tapping out prime numbers on the door panel to try to communicate with the captors. No dice. He tries to figure out why they're all here. Metena is young but talented with impulse propulsion. Kova is from a planet of pushovers. I mean, pacifists who have no enemies because they keep rolling over to be conquered. And then a new guest has arrived. A big, hairy, ugly. Act two, thing. He's a thing that is big and hairy and seems to have a temper. He has a knife raised toward Picard, but the captain keeps his cool. They all need to trust each other. And Picard knows a little something about the new guy. He's from Chalnoth, and Picard visited there 12 years ago when he was in command of the USS Stargazer. Essok puts down his knife. On the Enterprise, a poker game is happening with all the usual suspects when in should walk, not Picard. He's friendly enough and mentions to Jordy that he would like engine efficiency improved up from 93% to 95%. Jordy says he'll get right on it, even though this captain says it's not an order. When he sees a break in the game, not Picard has a word with Deanna about the crew. Do they trust him? She says, of course, but she would inform him if that changed. And then she's kind of wondering about how strange that conversation felt. While real Picard and his fellow inmates are getting to know each other, we start to see the divisions among them. Essak is a fighter with many dead enemies. Kova is repulsed at violence and can't think of anyone who would do this to him. Starfleet has enemies like the Romulans, but they wouldn't have done anything with the others. None of them can guess at who might be a common enemy. Then more bad news. Essak goes for one of those jello hockey pucks when he gets hungry, only to discover it is poisonous to him. He'll die in three or four days without food, and there's nothing else there that he can eat, except maybe Kova. Not Picard is now going about one of the most un-Picard things he can do on the Enterprise. He's early for his annual physical, and he takes the opportunity to flirt a little with Dr. Crusher. Dinner. Tonight. His place. Real Picard is still working on a way out. Kova is resigned to do nothing, but Essek thinks he can make short work of the door control panel, and he does. It's messy, but he breaks his way into the lock mechanism. Matina is clever, and she tells Picard she can cross circuit A to cross circuit B to get them out of there. It looks like it's working, too. The door cracks open and then slams shut. 
to add insult to injury, a punishment beam illuminates the three would-be escapees and makes them very uncomfortable for a short time. Kova just looks on with that I-told-you-so expression on his face. Act 3. Whoever this not-Picard guy is, he is definitely getting the better end of this deal. He's in his quarters, the lighting is moody, the wine is flowing, and he's got Dr. Crusher in there, and they are definitely both off-duty. The banter is flirty but serious. Not Picard is expressing a kind of regret that he's focused too much on work and not enough on the possibility of their relationship. Beverly demurs a bit. She knows there is much keeping them apart, and she's okay with their current roles. Not Picard puts on the smooth jazz. There's dancing. There's a kiss. Wow. Dr. Crusher wonders if he isn't playing games. Then as soon as Not Picard turned it on, he turns it off. He ushers her to the door with a perfunctory good night. Remember how everyone who tried to escape was hit with a painful beam? Everyone except the one guy who didn't try, Kova? Well, all eyes are on Kova now, especially Essok, who thinks Kova may be the captor here. Another round of accusations. No, he might be the enemy. No, she might be the enemy. No, Picard might be the enemy. Natana steps up to defend Picard. He has put his life on the line many times. Remember those proto-Vulcans? Yes, says Picard. What about Corcoroli 5? He totally did a great job there, right? On the Enterprise, the orders coming from not Picard are getting more obtuse. They've slowed to half-impulse for no good reason now, and Riker brings his concern to Deanna and Ten Forward. Before they can really talk, who strolls in but the man himself? Not Picard makes a show of praising Geordi for his engine efficiency, then buys a round for everyone in the room, and then he sings a rousing sea shanty. If things weren't out of the ordinary enough, this is really cause for concern. Act 4. The odd orders, the secrecy, all of that may be okay, but the singing was the last straw. Riker gets Data, Dr. Crusher, Worf, Geordi, and Deanna together to talk about what's going on. They've all noticed some erratic behavior from Picard, but there's not enough to go on just yet to remove him from command. The real Picard has his own problems. With everyone suspecting each other, naturally suspicion turns to Picard as the captor in disguise. He says he has no proof that he isn't, but regardless, they will have to trust each other to even possibly escape. Back to it then. Not Picard has brought the Enterprise closer to the Pulsar while his bridge crew prepares for the dangers that entails. Riker has had enough and confronts Picard in his ready room that he is endangering the ship. That doesn't go so well. The foe Picard turns it around on Riker that maybe he is the one who isn't fit for duty. While he's thinking about that, also review the videotape of Season 1, Lonely Among Us. Back to the jailbreak with the real Picard, he rallies his cellmates to try again. A little cross-circuit A to B again, and what's this? The door cracks open just enough to reveal a solid wall. They are getting nowhere. Not Picard is commanding the Enterprise crew to take them in closer to the Pulsar, despite all warnings that shield failure is imminent and the radiation will kill the crew. He orders to push on, getting that much closer, but the bridge crew doesn't know what to do. Riker speaks up. They will not follow this captain's orders anymore. Act 5. Not Picard and Riker are having a verbal showdown, and Riker has the upper hand. Worf ignores Not Picard's order to take Riker into custody, and Wesley does follow Riker's order to get them the heck away from that pulsar. 
The real Picard is getting an earful of I told you so from Kova, but he's ready for a Columbo moment of his own to explain exactly what has been going on here. This holding cell is more of a twisted experiment. The people there are being tested for how they react to and express authority under duress. They all play their parts, but one is a little different. Matina has been observing how the other three in the room behave, and Picard got suspicious when she knew of their mission to Mentaka 3. He also threw her a loop by mentioning what went on at Corcoroli 5, a mission that was classified by Starfleet, and also happened only, what, a couple of days ago at most? The Bolian gives up the game. She's not who she appears to be. Flash of light, special effects, big whoosh... Now there are three heretofore unseen aliens in the room, and they explain what was going on. Yes, this was an experiment, and each of the three who were captured had been replaced by exact duplicates. Picard need not worry, though. Riker figured it out, and now he's in command of the Enterprise. The aliens offer to return the unwitting experiment subjects to where they belong. When the real Picard and an alien appear on the bridge of the Enterprise, flash a light, special effects, big whoosh, not Picard, turns into an alien as well. These two captors try to make a case for what they were up to. Their species has no concept of authority, division, or other important things like morality, boundaries, good touching versus bad touching. There's a lot they don't know. Picard is all, yeah, 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 that's interesting, but kidnapping is still completely immoral. Also, watch out, you're in a force field. Boom, how you like them apples? The aliens are perplexed. They had no idea kidnapping and captivity were bad things, but this experience of being trapped on the bridge of the Enterprise is seriously not cool. How'd all that go down? Just a glance. Picard gave a look to Riker, who gave a look to Data, who sent a signal to Worf. One force field later, and the alien intruders are learning a lesson about what it feels like to be in captivity themselves. A stern warning, and Picard lets them go, hopefully to never be seen again. All else is good on the Enterprise. The not-Picard didn't do any permanent harm, but he did entertain the crew. Dr. Crusher shows up on the bridge with a knowing smile, the kind that says she knows what's lurking under Picard's all-business exterior. Awkward moment. Engage. The end. I got a question. Okay, lay it on me. What is the value of buying everyone a drink in Tenford? I wish I knew. (laughs) Because there's no money, right? No. And they're already in a bar. Mm-hmm. In fact, they probably already got drinks that they actually like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now they've also got this ale Yeah, that they have to drink. Actually, I didn't see anybody actually take out the ale. Is this just like no, a thing true. that happens in a bar? It's like, I'm buying everyone a drink. Of course, everyone already has a drink, so it really doesn't matter. Um, I get the camaraderie angle. Mm-hmm. But how do you do that in a time without currency? How do I prove my love to my child? <laughs> if my buying my child something doesn't do anything. Yeah. And um, I really thought about this a lot. <laughs> okay. It honestly okay. made me think of Riker's eggs. They were ghastly. Yeah. Riker, Riker's terrible, yeah, terrible eggs, right? They were horrible. Yeah. And he could have ordered up anything he wanted to from the replicator. Right. And we're given to believe that how you program the replicator actually, you know, says something about how you, quote, cook, end quote. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, Riker went the extra mile. He actually got eggs. He cooked the eggs. They were mm-hmm. ghastly. Yeah, right. <laughs> but he did it. You know, that's kind of a thing. So I guess, I don't know what the value was of, of Picard coming in and saying, hey, a drink you may or may not want, you may or may not even like, on me. 
that that costs me nothing and requires no effort on my part. <laughs> well, maybe he, what he, he didn't have, have said, to say ales for everybody. He did. Yeah. Maybe what he should have said was uh, to the finest crew in Starfleet, and now Riker cook everybody eggs. <laughs> <laughs> Riker's terrible eggs for everyone. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that, that kind of bothered me a little bit, too. It didn't bother me, but I just thought it was weird and funny. You it know? gave me uh, far too much to think about, or I thought about it far too much. I'm not sure yeah, which way that goes. I, I, I don't doubt it either way. Um, so this is the second time we've seen Picard under alien influence try to be removed from command by his senior staff. And the logic games are incredible. So it seems like there's really no good way to get a crazy person out of their command. Mm -hmm. And now we know how all those admirals and commodores end up where they are. Because the logic, the argument is always the same. It's like, uh, sir, I think you're unfit for command and so does everybody here. Well, has it occurred to you that you might be the one with the problem? (laughs) I relieve you of duty. Right. I'm not the one that's crazy. You're the one that's crazy. Right, right. right. were, Were you and I talking about, you know, how terrible that would be at an intervention? You know, like, okay, we've all come here to, uh, you know, help you with your problem. We've noticed that, you know, uh, alcohol, drugs, whatever it is. uh, So we're here to help you. Well, did it occur to you that all of you are the ones with the problem? I'm leaving. I can't imagine that that hasn't happened at almost every intervention. Every single one. Yeah. And now now we understand something about Starfleet hierarchy. (laughs) (laughs) I guess guess maybe we do. Um, In universe, I have a question. Mm-hmm. How does Troy not sense a difference in Picard? I know he might be an exact physical copy, but it is a different guy walking around as Picard. So I was actually wondering about that, too. And the only way that I could make sense of it was to think that this Picard, remember, he is an exact replica of Picard. Mm-hmm. They, the, the aliens figured out what nobody on the Enterprise has understood about transporters, that they're making an exact copy. And uh, these aliens are just smart enough to not kill the original. Hmm. You know, interesting. So, but, so you're saying like like he actually. So once they make that duplicate, that alien becomes Picard with all of Picard's memories to that point. Well, he must, because why would that Picard do things like say, hey, Beverly, we have a history. Let's talk about our history. Yeah, it's still a different person, though. That's the thing. Even though it's got all the same stuff, I, I would think that uh, Troy would would see the difference there. You would think, but maybe she's just reading it as like, well, here's Picard, but he's, he's, he's really going through some emotional stuff. So his, his readings are just way all over the place. Yeah. Just a, an emotional roller coaster. He's like Picard. a bag of cats right now for some reason. Right. But I'm not going right. to tell anybody. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Or it, it, either maybe the copy's not quite right. There, I don't there's know. some cross circuiting or there's some alien influence going on there where the aliens are just like, well, we're just, we're going to have fun and we're just going to make this Picard do crazy things. So, uh, and, and uh, so Picard being the guy that he is, right. He's, he's trying mm-hmm. to get everybody to, you know, get out of the room, you know, and he's, he's gotten everybody sort of in order and they've tried, you know, this thing, they've tried that thing. Yeah. And finally he realizes that it's just not going to be possible. Now realizing it's not going to be possible. Shouldn't Picard keep trying? OMG, LAL, he's doing that again. That's right. That's right. I'm lolling. That's right. You're lolling. Yeah. Because, you know, there's no hope for Picard to get out of there and, and, and the parameters that are set up. He, mm-hmm. should, he should just keep plugging away. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's a little reverse psychology. Oh, is it? I, maybe I, It is. Hmm, which it's time? Oh. All right, let's go back to Crusher. All right. <laughs> um, Crusher. <laughs> uh, you hardly knew her. Oh. Um, uh, this is... I think my favorite Dr. Crusher scene so far hmm. because she's totally 
playing the subtext of that scene, and it's kind of perfect. Everything that she does in reaction is completely playing the subtext, and I think it's great. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you say it's your favorite because she's playing the subtext. I think my favorite of hers is still the one in the bonding between her and Wes, Mm -hmm. or between Gates McFadden and Will Wheaton. Um, Yeah. And again, that's totally subtext as well because we talked about that. Yeah. Like, like yeah. Um, yeah. Wesley's just, you know, talk to me, talk to me, talk to me, and she can't, so she goes over and hugs him and, and cries. You know, yeah, it's yeah. it's yeah, not not saying you say it best when you say nothing at all. <laughs> I think is a song, I believe, <laughs> I, which could I be the song that we sing at the uh, after the show's over. Oh, um, that's a great scene. You're right. Although I think my favorite scene for some reason, maybe it's because of the editing and because of the interesting editing choice. Is the back and forth scene between Riker and Picard? Yeah, it's shot great. Yeah, it's shot great. It's edited tight, but not. I mean, there's still something about the editing. I mean, you still get time for a little bit of reaction from each one because occasionally we're still looking at Riker's face when Picard starts his next line. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, that was just a. It was just a really not something we normally see, not the kind of thing we normally see. So that was just a, just fantastic. Yeah. Um, I. I kind of remember this episode from way back when it first aired, but Mm -hmm. um, watching this episode a second time for me for this show, um, seeing, focusing on that moment where Picard realizes that Matina is not who she says she is, I I thought it was great. And I was actually fooled the first time around because I didn't remember who was whom. Really? And how this would play out. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I thought it was a little heavy handed. I mean, not to be a jerk about it, but I actually caught it the first time. Oh, okay. Just jerk. Yeah, I caught it. Well, yeah. no, I'm being a jerk. <laughs> no, I mean it was. It actually seemed to me it's like okay, so it's her, but why is it her? I didn't. I didn't know. Okay, so is she a collaborator? Or is she an alien? What is she? But I mean, like as soon as he gets that look on his face, mm-hmm. then I was like, oh, okay, well, it, it's just the look. We, we know says. the who. We don't know the why. Yeah, I felt she, like at that she point. says the thing about Mintaka, and they just the the camera holds on him for just a a half a second while he while he gives that look. Yeah, and yeah. I just I, I just sort of let it pass right by during the uh, the first time, and then the second time I was like, oh yeah, I now I really want to see what he's doing here, what's uh, what's cooking along in his head. Um, a couple of comments we received before we recorded. Um, lots of lens flare in mm-hmm. this episode. Yes. It was, um, it was practical again, lens flare though. It was not, it was well, not exactly <laughs> not digital lens yeah. flare. It was practical. Yeah. Well, if you're referring to the, the JJ Abrams film, those were all practical <sighs> lens. Anything on a set was a practical lens flare. Okay, fine. Really? Well, because you can add those, yeah. you can add those in, uh, in like, um, iMovie. No, I know. I, I, I know. And, and anything that's a CG shot, obviously, you add lens flare to that. But, right. um, but on set, they were actually beaming flashlights into the camera lens. Um, but in this, <laughs> you had that practical set where you had exposed lighting. All right. um, and, and I like it. it. It gives the room some, some atmosphere and some depth. Um, but this same person commented on Twitter. He said it's kind of disconcerting that all members of the same species act the same way. And I get it. We've addressed that a little bit before talking about um, alien cultures in Star Trek sometimes being a monoculture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes you can only really justify it in saying that, well, that's the story that they wrote. And other times you could kind of justify it in universe and say, OK, well, we don't know anything about these aliens who are the captors if they're a, a Borg-like thing, and after all, we, we do know that two of them at least are identical twins, um, have they all been sort of genetically programming themselves with the same traits and then therefore giving themselves the same education and all this over 
thousands of centuries and and that's what they became i think more what he was pointing out was the difference between kova and esok that kova all of his people would just be pacifists and that is the only thing that that we know about them the only thing that they do mm-hmm. and i was kind of thinking that as well like kova for all the monologuing about well my people don't have enemies because we we abhor violence and blah 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 but you know, another day in here with you three, and I will seriously stab somebody. <laughs> That's, I was going to say, Kova actually does have an enemy by the middle of the episode anyway. Esok's just got his name all over him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's interesting, actually. You say that about the about the, uh, about the um, the captors, though. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, he's probably talking about Esok, and he's probably talking about um, Thal. But yeah. the captors say that they are in constant telepathic uh, communication. It's not like they're telepaths. Like, we can talk to each other, but they say that they're constantly linked that way. So, I mean, them becoming a monoculture actually makes perfect sense. Right, right. Because, you know, whichever mind is the strongest or whichever thought is the most prevalent is eventually going to be written across all of their minds, I would think. Yeah. Uh, I love the blue light special um, going on at the Pulsar. They said it was a spinning <laughs> star. And it was only the second or third time I watched it this week, I think, that they that I caught the fact where they said it was a spinning star. But the first time yeah. we got there, right. I was like, that's like a, it's like a lighthouse. I, I thought or, it was a lighthouse. Or it's too. like a blue light special. It was like a, it was like yeah. making the galaxy a Kmart circa nineteen seventy-eight or something. <laughs> right. I just thought, oh, that that's an interesting space station that uh, <laughs> honors ancient traditions of lighthouses. Well no, it turns out there is a space rock very close to there. <laughs> there is. <laughs> trying to keep people away from it. Where the pulse are. The space rock. Yeah. Oh, I had a question actually, and I don't maybe this well, it's not really because it's in universe, there's no point in discussing it next time, so I can go ahead and do it now. Is okay. there a point where faux Picard would have stopped? Where not mm-hmm. Picard would have stopped? I mean, was he that convinced that somebody would stop him, that Riker would eventually relieve him of duty, or that, you know, Worf would if they went ahead and took Riker into custody? Because, I mean, he seriously was going to kill them. Yeah. Well, it I mean, that's like. part of the experiment, right? I mean, Well, yeah, did, but I mean, does the experiment yeah. end with them going, well, we never heard from the Enterprise, so I guess uh, <laughs> I, I guess maybe that, that part, yeah, I guess they really were really, really loyal. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Might have been. Yeah, that was a terrible experiment then. Um, speaking of those aliens, though, can we just, can we get them in a room with the Telosians and the Vians and just let them all fight it out? And and whoever then is left outside the cage at the end of that, they're the real enemy. They're the dangerous ones that we should stay away from. Sure, if you want to. Okay, that's just that. That's my uh, fan fiction novel. That's what I'll have in mind. Um, at the end of the episode, it's a good thing that Picard's look to Riker meant set up a force field, because in a game of telephone, particularly with Worf there, it could have meant uh, vaporize them or beat them up with broom handles or take pictures of their outfits for future reference. I mean, it really could have been anything. <laughs> Actually, anything you, I, I was more worried about that at the end of it. You remember um, in Galaxy Quest, mm-hmm. Jason gives that, you know, thumb across the throat gesture to Gwen. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to mean cut communications, but right. Gwen thought it meant they were dead. <laughs> yeah, And so they let the communication stay open. And then, of course, the bad guy heard the whole thing. And so at the end of it, they're like, oh, so learn from this, aliens, blah, 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 blah. And then Picard gives the, you know, thumb across the throat gesture. Mm-hmm. And yeah, at that point, it could have been curtains. Right, right. It could have been, oh, no. especially because he's, he's giving that signal to Worf. 
Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and Worf is just ready to pull a phaser on anybody. And at the end of it, they're cleaning up the mess and the pieces of alien off the consoles. He's like, no, seriously, just just capture. Don't we we're trying to say that we are on a peaceful mission. It is amazing how much the actor who played the fake Picard looked like Patrick Stewart. Going all total perspective vortexy. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that Picard knows his place in the universe in this. Mm-hmm. They're they're captured, and there he is wearing clothes and talking to people, you know. Mm-hmm. But but he goes over to the to the keypad and starts repeatedly tapping out the first six prime numbers on the door lock to let their captors know that they're intelligent creatures. And um, Thal says, "Well, it's nuts because you know we're talking, hello." And Picard says, "Yeah, that that might just sound like gibberish to them." That might not be, you know, they might not hear that as words or understand that we're communicating uh, audibly. And I, I love the fact that Picard, you know, who is in command of a starship, who's always talking about, you know, the great strides mankind has made. Oh, he knows we've got a long way to go. Right. But I, I love the fact that he's like, okay, well, I have to start from zero, which they may think is what I am. So, okay, let's start from zero. And and uh, I, I, I like the fact that he's not... That he's not, you know, blustering or looking for a camera or pounding on the door or something like that. He's just saying, okay, let's let's make sure they understand that I'm mm. not stuff on a rock. Right. right. Yeah. No, it's very true. It's, it's a smart way and it's a very methodical way of, of going about it. But then, you know, this whole thing is very much set up like that where, where you're drawing a stark difference between – you know, the two total extreme opposites, you know, Kova and Essok. But then Picard, like, you have to throw in the ringer. You have to throw in the smart guy who can use logic and and some methodology to what he's doing to actually uh, try to communicate with the captors. You have to wonder if the captors have run this experiment several dozen or hundred or thousand times before this. Hmm. And they just keep getting people who are terrible at being able to logic their way out of a problem. <laughs> Say, okay, well, three more killed each other again. Okay, I guess. I don't know. Gonna... This could be their first time, or it could be their first time with humans anyway, because remember the um, the captors say at the end, uh, yeah, this emotion thing that you humans have, it's interesting. We may have to study it sometime. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, Picard may actually be their first um, human. Or, the, yeah. I mean, this could actually be the first time they've ever tested authority. I mean, they actually... But for all the scientific methodology of the whole thing, they say, "Oh yeah, yeah. we we don't understand authority at all. We don't we don't we don't have that." So right. uh, the concepts right. of authority and leadership are meaningless. I think they say, and so um, yeah, so we decided to uh, capture a leader. I mm-hmm. mean, how many times has this happened before? They didn't say like, "Oh, we're starting to get some idea, but wanted more." Or you you sound like the best one, right? Or, or anything. She's like, "Yeah, you know, we were bored. We heard about right. leadership, but we never thought it would happen to us." <laughs> exactly. So I want to return a little bit to that discussion we started to have about the Picard duplicate because – I mean here's the thing. So we're, we're really not 100% sure of what the mechanics of the Picard duplicate are mm-hmm. uh, nor how much of it slash him was controlled by the aliens. Like the, the aliens were clearly aware of what was going on but we don't know if they were controlling like saying, OK, give the command to get closer to the Pulsar – do it now and get this close or were they just sort of like uh, make the Picard guy do crazy things right? and then just kind of wind him up and let him go. But here's the thing. If it was an exact duplicate and they were merely pushing a few buttons in his brain, then it's an interesting comment on what is in Picard's head. 
he's a guy who would like a relationship with Beverly. Right. He's a guy who would like to praise his crew more. Hmm. He'd like to buy them drinks and sing songs, but he can't because he's got to maintain an image of a hard ass. That's kind of what I got out of it. And, and yeah, it, it makes sense. And you, you absolutely can justify why he behaves the way he does. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there is this kind of tragic part of it where you, you go like, okay, does he carry this around then every time he sees Beverly? Does he carry this around every time he goes down to engineering and he's like, uh, yeah, good job, Jordy. But he'd really like to give him a hug. <laughs> you know? Like it, it's an interesting as as much as this not Picard is not Picard. The things that are revealed about the real Picard are fascinating. Well, assuming I, that's what I mm-hmm. assuming that's what is happening. I mean, I mean, yes, it does seem obvious that the that the alien has some read on Picard. Otherwise, why would he zero in on Beverly? Now, he might have, he might just as easily have picked up an ensign that he had never seen before, and you know, mm-hmm. a, a la Kirk. I mean, he might have gone to the uh, he might have gone to the science division Christmas party, oh, and yeah. and scoped out some chick he had never seen because it, because yeah. when they're talking about it in his quarters, he's like, I mean, we do know he remembers some of the history because he says, I haven't told you by the way how much uh, how glad I am you're back on the Enterprise. I missed our friendship, mm-hmm. but when when he's talking to Beverly about you know about the nature of their relationship. He doesn't say we have this history or we've known each other for so long or I've always felt whatever. He says, you're an attractive woman. That's it. I mean, well, so, I mean, I don't... Yeah, but, but in, no, in that dialogue, though, they, the, the implication is, and, and I believe even explicitly, they say, like, we have to do this thing that we have always done. I think she says that, yes. Yeah. Because she says... Uh, I think something along the lines of it would be difficult. And he said, would it be easier if, if I were not your commanding officer? And she mm-hmm. says, easier, yes, but that's not, mm-hmm. you know, right now I'm, I'm happy with the way things are. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to assume necessarily that, that these are things that Picard always wants to do. Although it's interesting because that actually puts a little bit of a, if you assume that those are things that Picard always wants to do on some level, uh, then we can actually liken him to Spock. We always do the data Spock mm-hmm. comparison because it's so, you know, Oh, I have emotions I don't want to. Oh, I want emotions, but I can't have them. Right. Um, but if if Picard is always walking around wanting to do this other thing, but feeling like uh, propriety, you know, indicates to him that he should not, uh, then I yeah. should give him sort of a uh, sort of a Spock flair. On the other hand, though, it could just be the could be the alien saying, "Okay, well, that's something that Picard would never do, so I'm going to do it. But I'm not going to do it like you know at, at volume eleven. I'll do it yeah. like volume yeah. four. Like, oh, normally he wouldn't, you know, come to the bar. So I'll have him come to the bar. I'll have him wave uncomfortably. Okay, nobody's freaking out about that. So I'm going to go over and uh, <laughs> slap somebody on the back. Nobody's freaking out about that. Uh, I'm going to start a sing-along. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> at that point, it's like, right. oh, hey, I think Riker's maybe getting a little um, hmm, curious about that. So I don't know. I mean, I can, I can see either side of it. It is, you're right, it is interesting and tragic if you think that that's stuff that Picard always has well, uh, in him. I mean, we can only go with what we're given in the episode and, and we're not given, you know, they're not going to stop the episode in the middle and give us an explanation of how the aliens did this because 
really is not that important <laughs> when it comes down to it. And I know I'll probably get an email from somebody saying, well, here's exactly how it works. You know, um, but, <laughs> I'm but writing it right now, John. Yeah, right. right. But we're, we're given enough information in the show when, when the aliens say that they've mastered this duplication technology, essentially a transporter, you know? Yeah. Um, so we go, oh, okay, well, we kind of know what a transporter does. Now you're making a copy of, you know, every neuron that fires in his brain and and that's how we get these things happening. But then at the very end, not Picard, turns into one of the aliens. Right. So I, I don't know if they're just replacing his biology. They basically transported, um, you know, twin brother alien from another place into what that mass that was taking up the not Picard they had created. Because otherwise, then we got a problem. Then, oh, no. then you've got a Picard essence that just got snuffed out. Well, no, he actually did say, uh, Picard said, wait a minute, so you're telling me that one of your doppelgangers is running my ship mm-hmm. and, and, and the alien says, no, 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 no. It's okay. Riker already relieved him of command. Yeah. I don't think that was a, I don't think it was though. Just like a, well, that's really far too geeky. And I think only three people have probably read it in the book. Uh, who censored Roger Rabbit uh, yeah. off of which the movie was made. Um, okay. That's how, that's how, that's how tunes are made. Like Roger Rabbit could actually make a doppelganger of himself. And so he's what ends up under the bus. Okay. He, it's like a, a copy of himself. I don't think we're talking about a Picard copy. I think we're talking about somebody walking around in a Picard suit. Honestly, what I thought of was the um, were, were the aliens in soap. I don't know how well you remember that, but Bert was kidnapped by aliens. I, I don't remember that bit. No. Oh yeah, Bert was kidnapped by aliens, and he's like taken <laughs> up to the alien ship, and and the aliens tell Bert that he's going to be uh, replaced with an alien. There's this one alien who's over in the corner jumping up and down, and Bert's like, "Who's that?" And they're like, "Oh, that's the alien. That's uh, that's the alien that's going to go down." And he's like, "Why is he so excited?" They're like, "Because oh, he's finally going to have sex." <laughs> and that's, uh, that ends up being one of the things where the Bert alien uh, ends up uh, maybe it's possible that Bert's baby is. Uh, an alien baby, but we don't wow. we don't know because that's what this was the cliffhanger, and then of course uh, this show got canceled, and and still we wonder this very day, or at least the three <laughs> of us who also read who centered Roger Rabbit. I I got the feeling that it was an alien pretending to be Picard, but boy oh boy have we spent a lot of time on that. We you, sure you have. want to talk about something else? <laughs> please, please. Yeah. Uh, I'm a fan of uh, Thal's ability to roll with it. Okay, but he's an idiot. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've talked before. You know, I, I think I said last week, 99 times out of 100, or a couple of weeks ago, anyway, uh, we'll say no, 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 don't pick up the phaser. But mm-hmm. um, as Picard pointed out, uh, Thul's planet has been conquered six times in the last 300 years. Yeah, um, yeah. He's in his cell, and he is so afraid of dying that he will not do anything about getting out of the cell. And he says, "Well, that you right. know, they haven't heard us," and I think. Um, um, it's the ensign. It's the the cadet. Yeah, Matina. Matina. Yeah. Um, who says? But, but they've imprisoned us. And 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 to Thol, this really doesn't matter. Uh, I don't think what he's doing is living, though. I think what he's doing is just not dying. Yeah, totally. And, and it. Um, I'm 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 okay with pacifism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not okay with what he does. Is a little bit different. What they theoretically do as a race is a little bit different. Well, yeah, because the end game is he gets eaten by Essek. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? I mean, literally, he gets eaten by Essek. Right. The end so. game is simply to keep breathing. Yeah. And that's not that's not enough. No, no. Or it shouldn't be anyway. Uh, right. Um, let's talk about some of uh, Picard's proclamations here. You know, it, he has great moments 
the real Picard mm-hmm. with um, uh, with his fellow inmates there. Um, should we allow our suspicions to destroy us? You know, the, this was a, a nice bit nice bit of uh, Star Trek discussion about um, kind of the 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 creeping nastiness of fear allowing uh, uh allowing well logicking your way out of a problem uh, getting control so I, I thought it was a, a nice line of his and a nice uh supposition to throw out to the other people who were well who, who were going above and beyond in their suspicions and and potentially damaging the each other <laughs> in the process so it was a, a good moment um and then the the other thing is that when when we end up at the end with the the real Picard back on the bridge and he's kind of uh, you know slyly torturing these aliens who had captured him, mm-hmm. um, he says uh, imprisonment is an injury regardless of how you justify it. Um, and I really wondered if these aliens really did not get the concept at all ever in their history. You know, they, they had to evolve from something into something. Mm-hmm. And at some point you would think that there would be maybe uh, among their own ranks, there were aliens who were maybe not good at this whole, uh, uh, you know, telepathic lifestyle that they had all evolved into. Maybe they weren't so good at uh, the, the exploration of these concepts and maybe they didn't fit with what the others did. You know, I'm, I'm sensing that there could have been a division, a hierarchy or something going on there. It would surprise me that they wouldn't understand this ever. And I suppose if we wanted to extrapolate about any kind of experimentation on living things, we could. I don't know if this episode is necessarily trying to make a statement about that. Mm-hmm. Just saying that any kind, you know, blanket any kind of experimentation is wrong no matter what on any living thing. But certainly they were trying to give us a little bit of food for thought about, um, well, what we do with, you know, intelligent beings who who maybe we imprison harshly or wrongly. I don't know. I was trying to figure out if if that was really one of the the intended things in this episode. Either way, Patrick Stewart delivered it beautifully. Yeah. No, the line was great. Imprisonment is an uh, an injury regardless of how you justify it. Um, He doesn't say, and it's never right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Because I I actually found myself wondering, like, that line by itself is an indictment of, is an indictment of, you know, uh, the criminal justice system or, you know, yeah. um, uh, prisons or things like that. And I don't really think it is. I mean, I think it's a, because it's true. I mean, that's part of the reason we do it. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. So, I mean, right. Because it is an injury. Because it is an injury. Yeah. I mean, although maybe it's, I, I guess you can argue about whether or not it's supposed to be corrective or is it supposed to be punitive or whatever. But I mean, I think mm-hmm. we, we all agree that, you know, with the exception of uh, Thal, perhaps mm-hmm. few people are, you know, perfectly a-okay um, being, being locked up. Yeah. There was one other thing that I thought was kind of interesting, and I don't know I don't know how to frame it exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned this line earlier. The concepts of authority and leadership are meaningless to the captors. Um, we are all identical, hence we have no leaders, no followers. Um, so that's their whole thing, is they work together perfectly because they're all the same, and they, they've got you know pretty much a similar mind. Right. And Essok is from a lawless, anarchist leaderless society we are strong so we have no need for laws no need for leaders 
right? Essox right. says at one point. So you've got basically two leaderless, two authorityless societies being represented here in very different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're both just a hot mess. <laughs> I mean, right. that's the thing. It's not like you can't look at the captors and go, ah, well, yes, you see, they're doing it right. Because they're trampling all over everybody's uh, uh, you know, rights and privileges uh, by just locking them up whenever they want to to find out something else about them. I guess they're probably a little bit better than Essok because, you know, his whole society just like, oh, I don't like that guy. I'm going to go kill him. I'll be right back. I mean, it's yeah. a, it's a, yeah. it's a, it was interesting, though, to have, to have two societies represented uh, with wildly different backgrounds, but basically the same, the same end game of just like, yeah, no, we got, we got authority means nothing to us. Literally on one side, figuratively on the other. Yeah. But, but either way, they end up uh, kind of the same. That's kind of why I ended up where I did really trying to think about the background of these aliens and how they ended up in their evolution where they are. Because it almost is like a Borg thing or like a a programmed and created thing that they had decided at some point in their history, this is the way they're going to be. Therefore, genetically, maybe mechanically, whatever, this is how they would be. Whereas Essox people are just sort of like they're they're a few steps below Klingons in the respect that they will just kill anything in their way. And, and, and maybe there's not a lot of them, <laughs> you know, maybe there's just not a whole lot of Essex people around because that is the way they do things. As you said, as you pointed out before, but like when we talked about um, mirror, mirror, sure, violence and conquering is a good way to start something, but you don't maintain a civilization that way. So in this case, uh, maybe, Maybe you're just glad to not run into what remains of Essex people. With everyone back in their proper places, it is time to see whether the episode holds up and what we can take from Allegiance. I may have a new show for us, by the way, at the end of the air. New song, rather, at the end of the show. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'll tell you about it later. Because <laughs> we couldn't sing it. I mean, no. we could. We can sing. Oh, we can yeah. sing. Yeah. It would just give us an explicit rating. Uh, so instead, why don't we do that thing we do where we try to figure out, you know, if the ideas that were presented in the episode are things that we can take with us going forward. If, if the episode itself holds up, why don't we do the, uh, the whole 3M thing, those being messages, morals, and meanings. Um, Allegiance, John, uh, does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? You know, here's the thing. Um, as I mentioned before, this was written by uh, Hans Bemmler. Um, and I, I thought that, well, uh, along with Richard Manning. And I kept thinking, you know, the last several episodes that we've done have been out of this this new group of season three, you know, Michael Piller, uh, Ronald D. Moore, you know, this combination that has really changed what we watched in Star Trek The Next Generation seasons one and two. And it's so appropriate that this episode goes back to a couple of people who had been writing all along for the earlier parts of Next Generation, because this feels so much more like early Next Generation, and therefore it feels like TOS through and through. You have similar kind of setups. You know, the the somebody in the crew gets captured, and then they're in a thing, and aliens are you know poking and prodding them. You've got a duplicate captain. You know, had that happen before, and then kind of the humorous ending with the music sting. It just felt like a show that was written with that kind of storytelling in mind. 
very different from the last few scripts we've seen by uh, by Ronald D. Moore for sure. Mm. Um, and all of that is a lot of fun, and it, and it is a, a step out of the stories that we've seen the last you know half dozen or so or dozen even for that matter. Um, it really it, it holds up because I think as a piece of entertainment. Again, Patrick Stewart is great, mm-hmm. and that's redundant <laughs> every time we say it because he is, and he just continues to be, um, and he really sells it. And the episode stands on its own, so it just has sort of a light piece of next generation to watch. Cool. You can just show it to somebody, and, and, and you're good to go. Um, I, I don't think it's amazing. I don't think it's groundbreaking. We'll talk about morals, meanings, and messages, but uh, but as an episode – yeah, it holds up. It just feels like it doesn't quite fit the storytelling path that we've been on for the last few episodes in, in season three. That's all. What about you? See, you make a good case. I, I think it's I think it's undercut by the end. Honestly, sure. when 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 it's really when it's nothing. Mm-hmm. And and I I am I'm I'm both bothered by the fact that it ended up being nothing, and I'm bothered by how dismissive of the aliens Picard was, because mm-hmm. I mean their whole thing is to seek out new life and new civilizations, and Picard's last line to them is "Get off my ship." Yeah. And I understand that, and it's a cute moment, and these are not going to be aliens that we're going to see again, probably based on this. Um, I assume we're not going to see them again, but I don't honestly remember, so maybe we will one day. Who can say? <laughs> I'm kind of like I'm kind of I mean. Uh, it was undercut by the end. Yes, uh, Patrick Stewart is fantastic all the way throughout. Yes, you did have that wonderful scene with Beverly. Yes, you had that fantastic uh, turn of, uh, of camera work and direction when mm-hmm. Picard and Riker are literally facing off. I, I was just – I was kind of bummed that the whole thing wrapped up in 30 seconds, that the whole thing was just like, ah, now how does it feel? Okay, mm-hmm. get out of here, you nuts. And don't let me hear about you doing this again because Picard says – because, by the way, we know who you are now and we know how to imprison you. But we don't actually know what you're called, where you're from, <laughs> how to find you, whether we actually have something that we might want to talk to you about going forward. I mean, it, you're right. It has a lot of TOS, including, sadly, the part where, and next week we're going to forget this happened. Yeah. I, I think that's really yeah. kind of it. There's, I mean, we, we've had, like, some beautiful, some beautiful storytelling, some, some what felt like things that were going to be important for the, for the series going forward. Mm-hmm. And you and I have talked about this. You don't really get important moments as far as character development in the original series until you get to maybe the animated series when you have, um, uh, uh, uh the one with young Spock and Aichaya and oh, yesteryear. Yeah. yesteryear. Okay. Yeah. You don't really get important character development issues until you get to yesteryear or really probably the motion picture. That's when we start growing these characters into different things. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and it has felt like throughout season three, we're starting to grow the next gen characters into something else. And this episode uh, sort of abandoned that briefly. I mean, it doesn't stink. It's not terrible. Mm-hmm. But I sort of felt like – and the laugh at the end, honestly, was cuter than anyone that was ever in TOS. When we came to those in TOS, it always sort of drove us bug. Right, right. And I love the fact that there's no – that Picard's like – I mean, except for the part about Singer. I, l- I look forward to reading your report, I, th- I think. You know, and mm-hmm. then – and he doesn't even give the engage. I mean, it's just – it's cute, but I mean, I think it's just because it ends cute that it actually sort of uh, disappointed me a tiny bit. Most of the episode, I was enthralled, and then when we got to the end, I was like, "Oh, really? That's it?" Yeah. So I don't. I. I, I mean, they okay. They they were one shot short of a slap on the back and a freeze frame. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I admit that. I admit that. But 
they they played it better than that. Yeah. No, no, they, no but, it was it was yeah. played very well, but it was still yeah. there. I mean, I th- yes, I think I would have to go ahead and say that it holds up, but man, the end comes close to ruining it for me. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. What about yeah. messages? Um, because I found I found a boatload of messages in this episode. Did you really see? I I wasn't thinking about the show in terms of messages. To me, it was it, it was a study. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, were we not doing that this week? No, no, this is a different show. <laughs> oh, like, you could have told is, me. Oh, yeah. No, oh, sorry well. about that. You didn't get the memo. Um, <laughs> every time that I watched this episode, I was thinking like, this is great character stuff about Picard. Yes, cool. So there's fascinating character stuff about Picard, and it's an interesting study about leadership and authority and and how how different styles work their ways out of a problem. But then there was a message, a, a you see Timmy moment. Um, I didn't really pick up much of that. Now, now there was some nice nuggets in here. Um, well, trust but verify, mm. because I think that whole thing with uh, uh, Picard in his conversation with uh, his fellow inmates there, he was saying like, look, you can't trust me for good reason. I can't trust you for good reason. We have to work together anyway. Okay. So we will go along on this premise of trust and, and we will essentially verify this every step of the way until we actually have an answer. So I, I thought that was, it was a good reasonable way to look at gathering information and working one's way out of a problem. Um, but the other part of it was, and this is related that we can only go along with suspicion and fear for so long. You know, particularly when Essex shows up, he, he's just, he's immediately suspicious of everyone. He's immediately ready to stir things up. But eventually we have to do the work. And we have to do the work even if there's a possibility that there is an enemy, and you put the quotes enemy because there weren't really enemies among us. Mm-hmm. Because what you actually accomplish if you're not doing the work, you're just living under this cloud of suspicion and fear. You can't actually accomplish accomplish anything that way. So those are the two kind of related things that I picked up from there. Otherwise, I thought it was more of just a study of style and a study of Picard. But you, you, sir, you did some homework. What, uh, oh, I did no the, homework. <laughs> what are the three M's you picked up? Well, I mean, actually, it was sort of like, okay, so what did the captors learn was one of the first things I was thinking. And that, of course, I mean, they they – whether this is the first or the 100th time they've run this experiment, they picked the right guy with Picard, right? Right. Because, I mean, they learned about an exceptional leader's ability to lead. I mean, he got an anarchist, a, a passive pacifist, and a peon uh, to all work together and, and realize that there was no way out. <laughs> Which is, I guess, uh, great that they cooperated to find out that there was really nothing they could do. But, you know, still cool. Um the uh, the alien on the Enterprise. It seems like the thing that he learned most was that just Picard's a pimp. Yeah, and well, I mean like you know like a really cool guy. I don't mean a pimp because that's yeah. you know that's wrong. Right, um, yeah. He can push and push and push and get almost no pushback from his crew because you know he, he is he's he's the baddest in the land. Well, except in space, he's the baddest in space. How about that? Right. right. Um, as far as what we actually learned, uh, yes, do unto others as you would have them do unto you is actually something that is hammered home in the end. It's like, oh, wow, oh, yeah, you yeah, locked me I up? I like that one. Yeah. What do you think of it? Yeah. And it'd be sort of better. I mean, I don't think Jesus was like, so, you know, if somebody hits you on the head with a hammer, you hit them back and say, <laughs> see how it feels? <laughs> because yeah. that is actually what Picard did. Yeah. But still, there's the whole do unto others possibility. Um, sure. And certainly there's the value in cooperation that you're talking about. And I really like what you're saying. I mean, we, right now as we record this, 
Uh, I feel certain there has been a time in our history where politics, well, the Civil War. Okay, so there's at least one time that politics in the U.S. have been uh, more divided than they are currently. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we, we seem to have this not working together itis thing down right now. Um, everybody's convinced that everybody else is, you know, either trying to give the country away or steal the country for themselves. And we're, 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 we're so focused on I'm red, you're blue, you're red, I'm blue. Yeah. Um, they were not working together. And it's only through cooperation that they're able to find out. Well, I, I said that they find out that there's nothing they can do. And that's true. They can't solve that particular puzzle. But it is in working together that they find out you know, more about the parameters of where they are. It's, it's in working together, ultimately, that they're able to get out. Uh, but it's only because they did everything they could do and found out there was nothing they could do. They were able to. Yeah. Um, whether or not it seems like it, everybody has something to offer. Or everybody mm-hmm. has a part to play. I mean, again, you had this totally passive pacifist guy who is eventually called into action. You got this guy who wants to do nothing more than crack skulls, and he's you know toned down a bit. I mean, everybody can actually be part of whatever the solution is. Uh, paranoia will destroy you, certainly, mm-hmm. uh, is a message through it. And uh, no one to shut up. Because <laughs> as you pointed out, uh, Cadet Haro is like, oh, yeah, Picard was great at this. Picard was great at this. And Picard's mm-hmm. like, and I was great at this other thing, too. And you should have been smart and been like, okay, that's not in my memory stuff. So, see, that's another question, though, about these aliens, right? How yeah. did she know about that? Uh, no one to yeah. be quiet. That yeah. would be the thing. Like when Picard said, and don't forget about what happened on that on the planet that I just left. She could be like, okay, yeah. You know, as opposed to <laughs> as opposed to offering more information. So, um I mean, it's or either or any of those the thing. No, but golly, there's like four or five things that you could tell any kid and say, you see, Timmy, it's important not to do the things to people that you don't want them to do to you. It's important to cooperate, Timmy. Yeah. Don't don't be a cadet Haro, Timmy. (laughs) No one to shut up, Timmy. (laughs) Speaking of which. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of which, Mission Log. It's produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more, so much more at Roddenberry.com, including information about the Roddenberry Foundation, Roddenberry Adventures, and all kinds of cool stuff in the Roddenberry shop. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, be sure to check out all the other shows at Trek FM. That's Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. And be sure to join us next week when we will take a captain's holiday. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. According to my calculations, you have listened to today's episode at 96% efficiency. Ales for all of you, but no singing. And transmission.